My name is Winnie Pianyima. I am the executive director of UNAIDS. I lead the global response by the United Nations against the HIV epidemic. There's no fight that prepares us better for COVID-19 than the fight against HIV and AIDS, an epidemic that for 40 years has killed 32 million people, infected 75 million people, but along the way has revolutionized leadership at every level. It's also transformed global science, which gives us a head start now in finding therapies and vaccines in the current pandemic. Many of the talent leading the AIDS response have been repurposed for the COVID-19 response. And at the heart is Winnie Bianyima, the meeting point for science, health and humanity. I'm James Chow. Find out why she says human rights is the key to unlock this crisis. Winnie Bianyima, welcome to The China Current. Let's begin by talking about UNAIDS, the organization, the family of people that you lead. How is UNAIDS contributing to the global COVID-19 response, both as a key part of the United Nations and as a leader of civil society? Oh, thank you. We are a part of the United Nations. We are actually a joint program of 11 parts of the United Nations in the fight against HIV. We've been in this for 25 years. We are using everything that we have learned, the entire infrastructure that the whole HIV movement has built over the years to respond to COVID-19, because that's another epidemic. So we're bringing what we know about fighting epidemics. We are on the ground in almost 80 countries that are hit hardest by the HIV epidemic. And what are we doing there? In those countries, we are part of supporting the governments and civil society to respond to this pandemic. For example, we sit in committees of the planning and we introduce in there the things that work, that we know works. For example, that it's important that communities are at the heart of the response, that the battle is won at the community level. We share the labs that have been brought up for HIV testing and treating. We connect them to the communities. We fight for the rights of LGBTI people living with HIV to access their treatments, even as lockdowns are happening. We watch out for the rights of people living with HIV key populations to ensure that they are not further victimized, marginalized, and criminalized because of the lockdown measures. So this is some of the work we are doing and showing what works so that they avoid the mistakes of the past. And at the global level, the same, putting out the messages about what works, non-discrimination, empowerment of communities, uh, value evidence and address your real epidemic and all these things. I mean, COVID-19 has really humbled us as humanity and as individuals. And it's really bringing to the knees the most vulnerable who were vulnerable before this pandemic began. Who do you worry about the most? I worry as always, about those who have the weakest human rights in society. When any problem hits, epidemic, 
financial crisis, it's them whose rights are first trampled on and it is the strongest who fight for themselves to be served. I worry today about the human rights of people with living with HIV and particularly of the gay communities in many of sex workers, people who inject drugs in those countries where they are criminalized. This is the time when they are treated even less as human beings. I worry about people living with HIV not accessing their medicines because of restrictions on movement, because of actually using the facilities that were worked for them to, to serve another epidemic. It's important that we fight both without losing the battle on one. So these are the th some of the things that worry me. But I worry also at, at a level of countries, countries like Africa, where they are so highly indebted. Some of them are facing debt distress, have no space to invest, no money to invest in preventing this crisis, getting the support they need to be able to respond. You were born in Uganda. You helped shape its modern history. Do you ever worry that COVID-19 is going to reverse the gains made throughout the African region and also in other vulnerable continents like Latin America as we're now seeing? Yes, it does worry me because look, COVID has devastated, has taken lives, devastated economies, huge impacts, but it's not the only crisis we are facing. There is already a climate crisis with countries faced with floods and droughts and, and are losing people every season because of global warming. We have an inequality crisis that's pushing poor people further and further down and money being captured by a few at the top. All these are challenges worsened by this pandemic. So I do worry that many more people will be left behind and that this crisis will worsen existing crisis. But if we take the right lessons, we can come out with a better way of creating a more just and equal society. For example, today we've been locked down. It's like the second month. We have not shopped. We have not been polluting in these rich countries of the North. Suddenly we are seeing birds on the streets, which we had not seen for a long time. We know we can live on less. We know we can emit less. We are doing our meetings like now virtually. We are not traveling. We could go back to a world where we are emitting less carbon. We are saving the planet. We are consuming less and we are more equal. So we can learn the right lessons from this. Both you and Dr. Tedros, because of course your officers face each other in Geneva, you both are champions of access to affordable and quality healthcare. And you see this not as a human privilege, but as a basic human right. I'm just going to wonder how that's going to work going forward because COVID-19 is clearly widening the existing social gaps and threatening to topple entire healthcare systems, including in Africa, but not exclusively in that region. You know, if there is perhaps the biggest lesson we are learning from this virus that has hit us so hard is that health is a human right, not a commodity for sale. And we are seeing that in countries where healthcare 
is a fragmented system that governments invest very little in, that is privatized, commoditized. They are having the biggest challenges today of responding. And countries where healthcare is a public good, publicly provided, and everyone has a right to health and trust the health system and also the social protection, they are responding better, the devastation is less. So the right to the right to health, free, publicly provided health care, this is the moment to campaign for it, to ask countries to be humble, as you've said, and recognize the mistake we made, to think that such an important human right can be handed to the market to provide. I mean, you said it there yourself. You said health is not a commodity. It's not a product up on a supermarket shelf that's up for sale and up for grabs. I mean, aside from being the leader of UNA's Justice, Winnie Bianima, the person with your own rich experiences, how does it make you feel now when you see the new weapons of our society emerging in the forms of face masks, other PPE, vaccines, intellectual property rights? I mean, how does that make you feel decades into your career after championing human rights and telling people that this is a human right? You know, one thing that's keeping me awake, for example, is that we should get a vaccine and we start seeing people in rich countries vaccinating themselves against this pandemic. And we in Africa, in Asia, in the poor countries, are sitting in the back of the queue waiting for the price to come down. And five years on, we are still dying, waiting to afford this. It must come out as a public good with arrangements for equal access to that vaccine. I'm working on that. I've pulled together a team in, at UNAIDS. I've connected it with civil society groups that have fought for pri bringing prices down for antiretrovirals, who push the companies to bring down the price. And we are going to, we've started the fight now. If a vaccine were to hit here in September, we hope and we want that there's a an agreement, a formula for equal access. Health is a right. It's a human right. It's not, it cannot depend on the money in your pocket or the money your government has. I've had the honour of working with UNAIDS and the AIDS family over a number of years. And it, it, it requires a bit of explaining to people that AIDS is not just about AIDS. AIDS is not even just about health. It just blows your mind when you begin to understand that it seeps into every part of our intimacy, our soul and our ability to live the best way that we can. One of the issues that you and AIDS and you personally uh, make sure that it stays on the front lines is of course, the challenges specifically for women and girls. And we're seeing that just in one way, just in one way here in COVID-19, in the form of domestic and sexual violence, this continues to be in the headlines. We know that cases are increasing. What do you do if you're watching this interview right now? What would you tell um, that woman, girl, even that man or boy who is trapped in their home because they're told to stay at home with their abuser? Uh, James, you've been an amazing ambassador 
for Goodwill Ambassador for HIV AIDS. You've been a champion, you've made a big difference. I know these issues touch your heart. This issue of girls, women being abused more because of this epidemic, really, really, uh, it goes me. It just, but it does prove what we say always that epidemics feed on existing inequalities. They feed on existing injustices. They make them worse. That violence against women and girls has peaked because people are now asked to stay at home to social distance. Breaks my heart. It tells you that it's the people that you most trust, your family, your, your relatives, who abuse you if you're a young woman. This takes me to tackling social norms. This has been a war we have not won because it's wired in those informal rules of societies. We call it, call it culture, call it religion, call it whatever, but it's the, social, the informal rules of the society that make it acceptable to abuse, to oppress a girl or a woman. And there's impunity for it. So we have to get down to changing mindsets, to changing how societies view a woman and a girl, to make her, to make her equal in dignity, in respect, in rights. It's a lot of work, and I'm going to be focusing UNAIDS into this area too, because taking purely a medical approach to fighting HIV-AIDS isn't right. We have to understand, like you said, that AIDS is not just a medical issue. It's a societal issue. It's a human rights issue. It's a poverty issue. It's a racial issue. It is about rights. And I want us to go more into that area without giving up the medical approach, of course. Can we do that now, Ms. Bianima? Because the other lesson that comes from the AIDS textbook, 39 Years of AIDS, has to count for something. Over 30 million lives that have been given up in this fight have to count for something. Let's look at stigma. And we've seen this just in one form, uh, people calling this a, a Chinese virus, people of East Asian descent, people who look like me being singled out, sometimes being physically or verbally attacked on the streets. Yet stigma and discrimination continues to be, let's say, one of the biggest, if not the biggest barrier to people living with HIV from getting tested, from getting treatment, from getting what they deserve. How can the AIDS community continue to steer us as we struggle through the infancy of this new virus? You touch on, again, the same point I was making earlier about girls and women. It also works the same way for other groups that are marginalized, that are discriminated, gay people, sex workers, people who inject drugs, migrants, black people, brown people, wherever you find discrimination, that is where an epidemic will sit and grow. Because those people who while first have the higher vulnerability to the disease because of their poverty and the, their conditions of living, 
but also because they cannot access services because they are not equal in rights with other people, discrimination and stigma drives them underground. So if we don't lift stigma, if we don't take away discrimination, criminalization, we would never win this battle that has no vaccine and no cure. People will always be underground, not reaching out for services. So again, fighting discrimination, fighting stigma, fighting oppression, we have to tap into the energy and the, the momentum and the experiences of movements, of human rights movements that have been at fighting and organizing and fighting for rights. That's why I say we have to connect the HIV movement to other human rights movements if we are to gain the momentum against such injustices. It is very moving hearing you and learning from you because you bring experience, you bring your skill, but also you bring us evidence-based hope. I want to finish off on this note. Many of us are feeling pretty helpless, pretty broken at this point. We don't know where to look. Sometimes we can't look to our leaders, we can't look to our governments, maybe we can't even look to the people in our own homes because they are perhaps more vulnerable than we are as well. Yet you always go back to the same few words and you said this in a video that you recorded at the beginning of the lockdown in Geneva where you are and you spoke about the power of ordinary people. How do you apply that word, that term, power of ordinary people, to our decisions going forward? Not if you're a politician, if you're just like me sitting at home right now. It starts by valuing every individual and treating everyone with res respect as a human being. But it's also understanding that even a global epidemic can only be one by winning from the ground up. So communities, empowering communities to take charge, to be the ones to shape a response and to lead it. I think this is where it starts. Individual human rights, understanding and appreciating a human being for who they are and believing in communities on the ground, being the leaders. Ms. Bianyima, it is always an honour to speak to our guests here, but particularly with you, it's so humbling to listen to you and I hope that we're all going to learn what you give us going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. It's equally a privilege for me to be on your programme. Thank you and thank you for what you do. The China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak. Go to our social media, at The China Current, and our website for interviews, videos, and podcasts. I'm James Chow. Thank you. <laughs>